0: Stand and Deliver. Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast episode number 16. My name is Rodders and I'm a promoter. In fact, I'm the promoter of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club, which lives up above Smoking Billy's Rib House, right slap bang in the centre of Reading, a town which is very slowly beginning to grow... Uh, a comedy scene, bit by bit, more nights are popping up. And in fact, I do have some news to share uh, on on that sort of line. I'll tell you towards the end of the podcast. In case you're new to this podcast, what's the point in it? Well, it gives you a sneak peek behind the scenes of stand-up comedy in the UK, and I, I chat to acts who have played my comedy club and some of the fascinating people I've met out and about whilst gigging myself. Today's guest on this episode is a man that goes by one name, a little bit like myself, but that's where the similarities end. He is a musical act. He's called Stylophobia, and his comic weapon of choice is the stylophone, a weird electronic box-like instrument uh, which you play by poking with a a little plastic stick, or stylus to give it its uh, um, technical term.
1: So, uh, let's let's start on, rock Lady Dada. Um, I love Lady Dada, and uh, she's a very talented member of our aristocracy, and uh, she'll play her pop song, Poker Face. I've <laughs> the <laughs>
0: An amazingly unique, bizarre, and hilarious act. Uh, right, but before we get on to that, uh, I'm just going to tell you what I've been up to. It's been incredibly busy, and I am uh, quite tired. I, I normally like to get these podcasts out on Sunday night so they're ready for everyone's Monday morning commute but I uh, had a late night last night because I was for the second year running I was in the Amused Moose uh, competition uh, quarter final 200 people apply roughly so it's. I, I was really really happy j- just to get in but um, competitions are very very strange I'll explain to you quickly how this one worked the audience voted on scorecards that were on their seats they had a little row, and they wrote you a mark out of 10 uh, and there were also industry judges in these could have been Comedy club uh, bookers, um, TV producers, uh, people with professional links to the world of comedy. Uh, And it just adds a very, very strange dynamic uh, uh, competition to to making comedy competitive because the acts are under a, a new type of pressure. Uh, It's usual for uh, comedians to be nervous before a gig, but this is a different kind of nervousness because uh, it's more like going into an exam because you were actually being marked tonight, uh, which is very, very strange. Uh, Now most of the comedians are well if I, i've never been to a competition where comedians have been horrible uh, they've all. most people are very very polite and nice to each other uh, no one tries to put each other off i think people genuinely want each other to do well but there is this undercurrent because of course everybody wants to win and if you say you don't you, you're lying or just terminally confused um so the, and also as well as the acts being under pressure the audience are under pressure by the mere fact they have the power uh, to decide who wins the competition, that I think adds a bit of a distraction and a barrier between uh, them and the act whereas if it's just a normal comedy club they're under no pressure, just to laugh and they can have a good time and they don't have to concentrate too much, so if they zone out no one's going to tell them off uh, unless they look particularly gormless and sit in the front row, whereas this, they're probably thinking oh, oh, uh, maybe he should have a five, oh no, maybe he should do a six oh, but I like that joke, so they're probably overthinking things a bit, uh, making them a bit tougher, and uh, for whatever reason, and I I don't know how the running order was decided, I was put on first and this is always, this is the the spot I really didn't want uh, because the audience was they're still getting re- um, used to how the um, scoring works. Also, because there's so many of us on the bill, doesn't have the same amount of time as in a normal comedy show to warm the audience up, simply because there's so many of us on the lineup. up And uh, I worked as hard as I could. And if, if I'd messed up or forgotten a joke or just not done very well, I would tell you guys, I, I'm not deluded, but I really thought I tried my best... And by the, about halfway through, I was waking the audience up. And then, of course, you have to get off. And I, I would, I'm would i not saying I would have got through because there were some really good acts that went through. Uh, but it would be nice to know what would have happened had I not gone on first. And obviously, it is gutting not to go through uh, when you've been practicing for, for months to do this. However, a gig's a gig. And it's not every day you get such a busy room to perform to on a Sunday night. Sunday night gigs are normally pretty quiet. And I certainly don't get to perform in the uh, Karma Sanctum Hotel every weekend. I mean, it's an amazing venue and that's what it's about, isn't it? It's all about performing. So at least I got to do that and uh, it just motivates me to try even harder uh, this year coming up one of the acts uh, that got through was a Russian comic by the name of Vitaly Filipsky. did a fantastic job I-, I do urge you look him up and uh, during the interval we had a quick chat about how we found the night and what we thought of competition comedy in general this is the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast with Rodders uh, we're backstage at what was it Karma Sanctum Hotel we're between the kitchen and the toilets I mean showbiz and you cannot
2: tell one from the other basically no <laughs>
0: it's pretty horrendous uh, I mean, Vitaly Hallie, uh, you are on second or third, I was on first. How did you find out there? A, quite a big room, 50-odd on a Sunday night. That's not bad going.
2: Yeah, it's, it's around 50 people in a cinema room, so a little bit weird. Uh, they are not drinking much, which is even weirder but fortunately I wasn't first so it's, it's yeah, all fine
0: that was my, my job um, yeah. but I felt they were alright I think um, but I'll admit I don't like competitions it kind of it makes it like an exam like you're at school again
2: yeah I don't know I'm, I'm used to doing Gong competitions, I, lo- oh. I love those, but uh, it's, yeah, a little bit different, a little bit friendlier crowd. <laughs> so now at least you know you're not going to get interrupted and you can have your fair five. Yeah.
0: Mm, sweet. So...
2: Uh, but I was, like, finishing my stuff already and it was clearly still
0: for thirty or something, so I was a little bit, uh, yeah, a little I bit wor- confused. I worry about timing of these things, because, like some nights just stuff depending where the laughs are it will alter how so to have to do a type 5 under pressure and it's a comp that's what messes in my head with this how do you time it up do you actually I, I try practicing and timing myself but that's never accurate I'm either like a minute under or a minute over well, I
2: I put all my jokes in uh, Microsoft Word, and I know that with a specific, you know, format and specific size font, one page is two and a half minutes. And if people don't laugh, it's maybe two minutes, but if they don't laugh, then I'm, way, well, you know, I'm happy to go <laughs> off stage a bit earlier, so this is how I do it. So I know that five minutes is two is two pages in
0: Word document. Well, you've worked out the exact font size to time out your set? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and That's what, what, what I... font do you use? Uh, Arial. 12 you know what you should have said Comic Sans <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. that is the most precise answer ever oh my god but now our job's done. Uh, we can forget about work tomorrow. We can have a few drinks and watch everyone else.
2: Absolutely, yes. Oh, sweet. And hope for the best we sp- for our
0: careers. Yes, let us all pray. Um, awesome. Uh, Vitaly, best of luck with all this lot. Yeah, good luck to you as well. Cheers. Vitaly Filipsky, there. Now, at the time of recording, it was the interval, so neither of us knew who was going through. All right, let's get on to the headliner. The headline act of our comedy podcast today It is a man known as Stylophobia. You'll hear in this interview that I actually admit to missing the point of this act. I I didn't get the point of the stylus that he so deftly wields and plays his stylophone with. And we talk about all sorts of things. Uh, we talk about why he transitioned from uh, playing in bands to performing comedy. How school fed his desire to be funny. Um, we talk about what it's like to be married to another comic. He's married to Mel Byron. Uh, must be a 24-hour sitcom in their house. We talk about when stylophones go wrong. And the advantages of being a slightly older comic are on the circuit. Recorded during last year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival on one of the many stages in the La Vida venue. This is Stylophobia.
1: This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy
0: Podcast. I'm in Edinburgh with Stylophobia. Hello. Hello. So Stylophobia um, plays a stylophone, which it's, it's, it's an instrument played with a stylus. That's the, I can't really describe it. It's a, it's a very strange thing. I don't think I'd heard of one until, you, until you, I, I saw you in a, in, a, in a gig in Luton.
1: Yes, uh, it's a very primitive, maybe one of the first electronic organs... And uh, I don't know too much about the development of it. It was invented by an inventor. I looked on Wikipedia, and um, it was then manufactured. And, of course, it was a bit notorious for being promoted by Rolf Harris. And, um, of course, uh, Rolf Harris is quite rightly uh, out of public life, and so there's no competition for me. I can uh, play it uh, with no rivals.
0: So you're now the premier um, stylophone player, on the, in fact, the only stylophone player. The only thing, the sound, reminds me of a theremin, another weird electronic instrument. Have you ever
1: thought of incorporating that? Well, uh, funny you should say that, Rodri, because I'm actually in a band that has a theremin player as well. And he's, uh, he's somebody in London, and he plays the theremin more or less professionally. You know, he goes out there, and um, uh, so... Um, as I say, I, I do play in a band with a theremin, but I'm just playing guitar, and he plays the theremin. Uh, we did have a free jazz night where I played stylophone and he played theremin, and we played free jazz, which is not my favourite kind of music, I have to say. Uh, but it kind of worked, I thought.
0: So your, your act incorporates, there's a lot of puns, there's a lot of jokes, there's a lot of uh, craziness on the stylophone. What came first, though? Are you performing music or are you performing comedy?
1: Oh, definitely performing music. Yeah, I've been in bands uh, ever since I was a student, and they've been jazz-funk bands, I was in a folk band, I've been in covers bands, I was in a sort of um, a tribute band to The Clash for two years, which um, we had an agent and we went round pubs playing. This was a long time ago now. So I was playing electric guitar, and uh, so it's, it's had a very sort of musical if you like, context. Um, and I had a few stylophones as a kind of, a sort of joke originally. And I thought, well, what can I do with these that might be uh, just funny or strange? So it's the music that came first. So what
0: pushed you into comedy? Because if you talk to most magi- uh, m- musicians, magician's a different thing entirely. If you talk to most musicians, they say, oh, I'd never do stand-up. And most comedians, who aren't, most of them aren't musical at all. So they seem to be quite different types of people what was it that made you think well actually let's use this v- instrument as a weapon for, for hilarity
1: well I think I was always trying to be funny um, I'm not one of those people who was bullied at school who, but I was kind of I felt ignored at school I think and I was very into Monty Python uh, and I used to be one of those boring kids who used to recite whole Monty Python sketches <laughs> and it would probably irritate the hell out of people. Uh, so I was always into comedy, there's no doubt about that. And um, I was always trying to be funny and um, I don't know what happened to that ambition, but anyway, um, uh, so um, the stylophone um, was kind of like a natural extension of being kind of funny um, and I thought um, it was a naturally sort of funny thing to, to play. Um, and the older I've got, the funnier it gets, really, because it's kind of unexpected.
0: Well, you were saying after, well, we did it we performed earlier, and after, after you, you said that if, if I looked all, all... Actually, maybe I was talking to Lucas about this. I get all my conversations everywhere mixed up into one, but whoever had it, the, the, <laughs> the overall conclusion was if you had long hair and looked all wacky and dressed wacky, It wouldn't work because at the moment you come on very proper. You have a shirt, you have a tie, you always wear a coat, and it's kind of it's almost a bit like a like a downtrodden office worker, and then you do a Jimi Hendrix impression. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I I think that's uh, absolutely um, intentional. Um, I don't think I I always mistrust people who look really weird and as though they're clowns or whatever. Uh, I don't have a fear of clowns. Um, (laughs) You're not a chlorophobe, you're a stylophobe. No, no, I have no fear of them. I mean, as long as they don't interfere, uh, (laughs) as long as they stay outside the house, um, it's fine. But... uh, yeah, uh, the comedy is really it's, it's sort of anti-comedy really isn't it? It's like somebody being completely ostensibly normal <laughs> and uh, sober and uh, an upstanding member of the community who suddenly goes a bit um mad with um a strange musical instrument. Um and I suppose um it, it, there was a gig I did I don't know probably a year ago where the MC said he thought I was he reminded I reminded him of somebody's favourite uncle at the Christmas dinner having a kind of nervous breakdown. So I I thought that was kind of apt in a way.
0: Because I have to admit to you uh, that I didn't understand the act the first time I saw it. I took it exactly on face value. It was in uh, St Albans. Me, Lucas and Izzy Lawrence were doing a car share and they were raving about you and I was just like, I don't get it. It's just a man of a silly instrument. And I saw you again and it was a similar set. I thought, Okay, well, that was deliberate. Oh, right. And then I felt like such an idiot. And I watched you a third time and I laughed my head off. Do you sometimes feel you have that effect? An audience doesn't get it and takes it literally and misunderstands you? And does that frustrate you when that happens? Or is it a way of weeding out people that aren't meant to be your audience?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, because I did a gig back last November and it was supporting a band who did these mildly funny songs uh, they were meant to be mildly funny, as opposed to mad songs. And I was one of the support acts, and about were about 100 people in the audience. And I did my set, as you've seen, and hardly anyone laughed. And I, obviously, that wasn't good. Um, I went out into the foyer in the interval, and the guy came up and said, you know, I was really trying hard not to laugh at your set. I thought, ah, oh, thanks, yo. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> backhanded compliment. That's a world record backhanded compliment. <laughs> no, the the point was they, I don't know, they expected music, and uh, I was straight ahead comedy, and somehow it didn't register with them, which did surprise me. Um, but generally, if they come to hear comedy, then they will get it pretty soon. But yeah, it's true. Some some just don't, I think, and I, I don't think I appeal to everyone by any means if people like michael mcintyre they won't like me i think and vice versa is it vice versa i know if they people no, if i like michael mcintyre he won't like no so
0: if michael mcintyre likes you you won't necessarily like like him
1: no i don't like i don't like him possibly he likes me he's never said i've never met the guy uh but his audience they like him they don't like me they might like me but they don't like him if I know they if like him they, their audience no. like I, I, let's start again do, do we
0: ever <laughs> we, need, we need a bit of scrap paper and a pencil yeah, for this yeah um, uh. well going back to being misunderstood because I do stuff like I think comedians do like being marginalised slightly mm. and feeling their kind of renegade and a bit Mm. on their own because i've been doing some couple of surreal bits Mm. and when it works it's great but sometimes i do get Mm. an odd sick satisfaction Mm. of someone just looking confused and then they say can you explain that and i can't because i've just done something surreal and dadaist. i've put a i've put a silly thing on my head and i've I've done a silly voice but at the same time i'm happy they think i'm an idiot because it means i've got one over them Mm. but also i'm sad because they
1: think i'm an idiot yeah. Do, do you have that conflict or is this, do you not see what I mean? Not really. I, I, I don't know. I, I suppose I'm secure enough in my domestic existence not to mind if they think I'm an idiot, really. It doesn't. And I think it's part of being quite old, really, that you know what people think of you is just not really as important. Um, but that's only my personal perspective. Um, but, yeah, I, I like doing things that are really, really stupid and spectacular in some... Yeah, in the, the, the original meaning of the word, a spectacle. I want to make a spectacle of it, and um, possibly myself. Um, and so uh, the first comedy thing I did with the stylophone was come on with a shark to sellotape <laughs> to my head
0: um,
1: and played the theme tune from Jaws. Um, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly, yeah, especially with the tenor stylophone. You can go... <laughs> Uh, 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 uh. and it was uh, simple yet effective you know people it's just a really stupid yet highly visual thing to do so uh, I always wanted to make something visual of the comedy and not just what I said because I I, you know at the end of the day I'm not a very good actor I can't feign you know I can't feign outrage or you know I can't do that very well and a lot of comedy is people being outraged or Not not everyone, obviously, but I I can't do that kind of comedy. Uh, So I have to play to my strength, which is hopefully a strength, um, of being kind of ostensibly sober and um, authoritative, maybe, and um, uh, just seeming quite respectable, but then doing something visually very strange. Very strange. You've seen my three foot high model of John Major which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I uh, dance with, which my brother made. Actually, is uh, an artist. Be so. a of, ways of a prop if you didn't at least dance with
0: it. But yeah, yeah I was going to ask about because um, uh, you, um, you said you were playing to your strengths, and also you're saying how dressing a certain way on stage is very, very deliberate. Yeah. Uh, what, where did it come? Did you look at well, what am I good at? Therefore, I should do this on stage, or which bits were? well i 'm going to do that and work backwards if you see what I mean how, how much is is it yeah. actually you on stage that you've then packaged and presented yeah. and how much have you actually made
1: yeah it is uh, say it's nearly, it's about eighty percent me on stage really I just don't put on the silly voice or anyf- anything um, but I suppose i with some of the sort of jokes for want of a better word um, I do sort of s- I do sound a bit different. I sound a bit more animated, I suppose, and give it some energy, which I suppose you have to do anyway if you're on stage. You do need to give it a bit more energy. And um, I was doing a show the other day in Edinburgh and, and I overheard somebody said somebody said about me, oh, he had energy and all that. And I thought, yes, you know, it was a big room and uh, about 30 in the audience. And... Um, you know it depends on the type of humor really but anyway you know i have to give it some energy anyway and some uh gigs i've done i've made it positively manic a sort of if you remember magnus pike i don't know if you remember dr magnus pike he was this sort of mad scientist figure who came on and uh, explained about you know how clouds form and things and And he'd sort of gesticulate wildly and uh, I suppose there's an element of Magnus Pike. Was he on, on TV a while back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And going even further back, there's an element of Michael Benteen getting into a solid sort of history of comedy here. Uh, is that Michael Benteen's Potty Time? Yes. Is that him? Right? yeah and before that he was in The Goons you know, he was an original member of The Goons My
0: dad recited The Goons to me so much yeah. he was doing all, he was the Eccles voice and all yeah. that <laughs> so I was brought up with so that. that
1: Yeah, my older brother was into The Goons a lot, a lot and uh, I, I sort of picked up some of that and uh, then Monty Python it was mainly Monty Python with me and looking back, if you think of that iconic, I hate that word but it's kind of iconic um, uh, Ministry of Silly Walks mm. That's somebody being ostensibly very sober and straight-laced and an authority figure, a respectable figure, and doing something incredibly stupid. And I think that struck a chord with me. Because it seems to me sometimes
0: to highlight the absurdity of a situation is just to play it totally deadpan and totally serious totally. like some of the best heckle yeah. responses i hear is when the he- the the comic just takes it like it's a reasonable inquiry yeah even when the guy is absolutely out of his skull yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that's the kind
1: of thing do you, be...
0: do you get many hecklers because i've never seen you I'd, i've I'd, well I, I wouldn't wish a heckler on you but i'd love to see how you'd handle it because it's a because you wouldn't yeah. want to break character and yet i wonder if yes yeah, or is it because the character is quite low status people don't tend to attack it
1: yeah, there, there's, uh, to be honest I very, very rarely get heckled and if, if I do they're just really drunk um, <laughs> and I, I can't honestly think of any heckle that's kind of been aimed at me really um, they might recognise the tune I'm playing or drunkenly do that um, and I, I, yeah my I, act I, I, I can't really be heckled really because it's just you either kind of accept it or you don't really um and i suppose people who don't accept it just sit it out and wait till the next person comes on and and so it's not really yeah it's not uh, as i say in my act i don't pick on the audience anyway but i do crowd surf so they have to extend their eyes <laughs> uh, to uh, obviously uh break my um uh dive uh from the stage uh and uh yeah that that hasn't worked out um led to some injuries um but uh yeah i I don't get heckled really it's true so you're you're married to a comic does being married to a
0: comic mean that you talk about comedy even more do you have someone to workshop with or is it kind of like it's a very separate hobby for for both of you is there any because i I, because i i was trying to think it would i be brilliant or awful (laughs) (laughs) to be? because are you constantly testing material on each other what how does that
1: dynamic work good, good question I think we both, have, although ostensibly we do different things, like my wife is much more conventional stand-up, there is actually a bit of a similarity there, and I think you know, that's what, partly what keeps us together anyway. Um, but there's a kind of vocabulary of comedy. There's a kind of setup, up punchline, um, energy, um, projecting something of yourself, whatever that may be, that I recognise in her and she recognises in in me. So although our styles are very different, we're still able to kind of relate, if you like, to the comedy. Um, And, you know, she has her own taste in comedians and I do, but um, there is something sort of basic to comedy, I think, and I don't want to get all theoretical or analytical, but there is a kind of vocabulary of um, a setup and a punchline and uh, some kind of sense of climax and surprise and unexpectedness that I think all comedy shares. So, uh, yeah, we, we do kind of try material out on each other. And um, I've been asked... Uh, I'm trying to recreate my um, theme tune from Jaws at Edinburgh, <laughs> but there haven't been any rubber sharp masks. I've tried all the fancy dress places... And there are no rubber shark masks. And despite her acts being very different, nothing to do with sharks, she said, yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. You you need that rubber shark mask. Um, and so my niece, in, she said she'd found one in Durham, but I mean, that's not, <laughs> it's not can't close. really get there. And no. they, they can't really <laughs> then she's going to go carry it over herself. <laughs> Yeah, so I, th- I think, unfortunately, I have to spend Edinburgh without a, shark- a rubber shark case. Oh, no. Um, it's a shame, because it'd be good to appear in the street. It's a hard thing with, with
0: props. There's also so much to go, go wrong. Yeah. Like, I-, I remember this, uh, this, well, well there were a few funny things that happened. I mean, there's, t- there's two, things, actually, two things I want to touch on that happened when you came to play my gig. One yeah. of them was funny, but also very sad at the same time. <laughs> As you walked off, one of the stylophones fell out your blazer
1: pocket. Yeah. And br- did it break? Well, uh, it may be that the back fell off it, but it's designed to have the back you know, open, so it, no harm was caused. I'm pleased, no stylophones were harmed. during Cause, the
0: cause have, have you had technical right. mishaps, like batteries not working, and then oh, I, yeah, yeah. Did, you got ways, ways out of it? Because yeah. if I saw it, I'd think, oh, maybe it's part of the act until it yeah. dragged on for too long.
1: Well, I, I do carry a spare stylophone in my pocket, <laughs> and so I can make a joke of that. I say they've been breeding or whatever, and get another stylophone out. I have had occasions where the batteries have run out, but again, I've had the spare stylophone now, and it's a long time since I had a really bad meltdown. I remember years, years back this was, um, I was in a show, and I had this horrible cheap amplifier uh, that I should never have bothered to yeah i should have got something better anyway that packed up completely and my entire act was me tinkering with this amplifier at the back No, uh, and i was wearing an anorak (laughs) and i had some friends in who very actually very politely laughed their heads off throughout the whole thing um but yeah it's just me behind this tiny amp with a, a sort of screwdriver and uh that was the act that was the act and uh yeah, so that was going a bit too surreal, really. But, <laughs> Did you chuck it off the stage in the end? Well, I, I can't remember what happened. But I would
0: have felt like that. I would kicked it. <laughs> I would have kicked yeah,
1: it. Yeah, but um, you know what it's like when you're out there. You have to make the best of it, really. And, <laughs> it's uh, frustrating. I, you know, if I'd been more experienced, because I was very inexperienced at the comedy, I would have just told jokes and had a stock of jokes in reserve, or, or at least commented but it turned out to be a surreal performance art piece of me tinkering with a tiny amp but initially the only joke i had about it was i had those little gunpowder things that they no longer oh felt. fun
0: snaps yeah yeah oh.
1: i used to carry those around and i used to pretend to get an electric shock and sort of throw down the fun snap and then collapse on the floor and then not not move uh, until people thought i'd had an electric shock and uh, <laughs> was kind of unconscious <laughs> post
0: tommy um, cooper that's quite scary <laughs> isn't it
1: yeah yeah and um they stopped selling them then otherwise
0: <laughs> it's your <they> fault <laughs> it now. Um,
1: but i think they sell them in the joke shop in edinburgh i think maybe they're legal here or, possibly uh, have, have you were you like well
0: versed enough in the world of comedy to not find the, the transition from performing at music nights to performing at comedy clubs uh difficult or strange because I had a I, I performed at a, I MC'd a gig recently where there was a, he was a really funny act did a, did a um, he has a looping pedal did a, did a really really talented but he mostly played at that point he mostly played music night so we didn't really know how it worked so I was getting the crowd warmed up doing some jokes and I was just about ready to bring this guy on when he just wanders onto stage and starts tuning up his ukulele oh, right. and, I, and in the end I was like well I, I was going to bring him on but he's already here and in the end I just right. improvised a song yeah. while he was tuning up and it's just like he completely ruined it. And I was just like, because he just didn't know any better. Yeah. He wasn't deliberate sabotage. It right, was just, well, right. did you, yeah. do you see what I mean? That is
1: interesting because I, in, when I, you know, doing this, I, I played, I started basically in late 2015. And I was just playing music nights. I was playing open mic nights with tunes on the stylophone. And um, although they were inherently stupid choice of tunes, like Rasputin and um, Eye of the Tiger. And, um, uh, um, you know, Born to be Wild. Um, uh, yeah, it, the music audience is very different, I found. It, they um, they just sit there, and then, yeah, they were laughing, uh, but obviously the tune itself is the joke. It wasn't actually playing it for other than its own, if you like, sake mm. on the stylophone. And uh, then... It was very different, because everyone else had, just had an acoustic guitar, so it or at, at best, a ukulele.
0: Did the real um, musicians resent this wackiness? Yeah, I think they <laughs> did,
1: yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, they, they um, had possibly c- composed their own tunes, and um, they were keen to play their own compositions. And you were ironically playing Jimi yeah, Hendrix. Yeah. So, you know, it's like Ed Sheeran's playing, and then, you know, <laughs> Uh, somebody comes on dressed as Mr. Blobby, you know, it's, it's not really appropriate. Um, but yeah, so uh, I thought, well, actually, if I just inject, you know, the comedy um, into the music, I, I, I do, I'll do the comedy gigs. Because, you know, you just get a much better reaction, and uh, there are far fewer people doing musical comedy than there are people playing acoustic guitars in, in pubs. Um, so it, it made sense to. Increase the comedy element and uh, leave the open mic circuit, and uh, I've been done that for two years and one month now.
0: Did you find the, the the comedy club more more pressure? Did you find audiences more attentive or less attentive than doing music
1: nights? Yeah, they were much more attentive, much more pressure, but much more rewarding. Mm. You know, you get a, a, a response, and, um, and so. Uh, I don't regret, if you like, doing the comedy rather than music um, because uh, the pressure makes you actually less lazy as well. It makes you want to sort of be funny, which I think is obviously a good thing. Do in,
0: you still play comedy. with bands now or not? Is the comedy taken over totally? Well,
1: yet? technically, technically I am in a band, uh, but we haven't had a gig since December before last. <laughs> right. And I saw the guy... Um, I was doing a gig in Oxford, you know, comedy gigs uh, and he lives in Oxford and um, I said to, you know, come down to my gig you know. Um, we'll... and he came down and we talked about the bands and he said oh yeah, I'm doing all this, Yeah, I'm getting stuff together, we're going to do a video and all this but yeah, that was a good 10 weeks ago so, you know uh, yeah, and in the meantime I've done what, you know 20 stylophone gigs or, or whatever, so inevitably it's it's taking over a bit were you in old comedian of the year that that competition yeah. or not
0: do yeah. you think there are is, is it do you think it's easier in some ways to start comedy when you're older because you've got more experience and more perspective like you were saying you said i'm not too bothered about what people think because yeah. i'm kind of happy yeah. with myself do you think it's easy in that respect or are they any because the fact they've got an old comedian of the year mm. suggests that there's there's difficulty of older people being booked
1: yeah it's weird how I don't know almost imperceptibly the pendulum has swung from comedians being thought of as old as they were in my childhood like Frankie Howard or Tommy Cooper or Dick Emery they were all you know you could never call them young I mean they were very very clearly adults and now I don't know I, Possibly, I'm we're wrong. all
0: in our twenties, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all
1: in the twenties with narrow jeans, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, and, and talking about dating and being single, or vice versa. Uh,
0: so which much. is why they're all single, isn't it? <laughs> it's because they keep self perpetuating yeah. it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Can't have a girlfriend, or that yeah. bit won't work. <laughs> yeah, and that that. Um to me uh, you know i, I can 't really relate to that, um, maybe if I was in my twenties, I might do something about you know that material, but do older acts
0: get overlooked by bookers because I reckon because mm. I book from my peer group, mm. I see who I gig people roughly mm. my own age, mm. so often I think maybe i 'm accidentally overlooking acts that are a bit older than me because there's yeah. so many good ones out there that yeah. I think and when i when I do book. I mean, it doesn't make any difference, we're all, because we had a, had a gig where one of them was in their 40s, one was in mm. their 60s, and one was just turned 20-something, mm. and it's like, well, we're all in it together, we're all doing comedy, so it yeah. shouldn't really matter, but is there a problem with older acts just being overlooked for whatever reason?
1: Yeah, I do genuinely believe there is. I think, in some sense, you know, we're not, we're not young and sexy in, in any sense of the word. I wouldn't have thought, anyway. I'm, I'm not one of these people who <laughs> thinks I'm sexy. <laughs> yeah, there's
0: people into do everything, aren't there? But that would be creepy.
1: But, uh, yeah, I think they have been overlooked a little, um, if not a lot, really. And the public idea of a comedian is someone in their 20s with skinny jeans and maybe a funny haircut. Is
0: that because of TV or just the age of people Or run- well, the age of
1: there's still older people running the clubs? Yeah. I um, don't know. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Again, I think people running the clubs are generally younger. But I know older people who book older acts, I must say. Um, you know, in London, I can think of a few who are old people who book older acts and younger acts. And yeah, there's no, if you like, distinction drawn. Um, but yeah, as a tendency, I think it's right to say that younger comedians... Are thought of now as comedians, as opposed to I don't know someone way back, you know, in the sixties and seventies where they were, yeah, they were middle-aged people. So, do you think though there's
0: there's some advantages, like you were saying earlier, to starting because like when you when you when you start younger, it all matters to you because you think that's going to be the be-all and end-all, even if it isn't.
1: Yeah, I think there, there is a kind of mentality of um, reaching for the stars or whatever, an ambition and aspiration in a younger person that isn't there in an older person. And I think it does influence your reaction to, to how things are going <laughs> generally in comedy. And um, at one extreme, I've known people from a long time ago who were very, very upset if they didn't get immediate adulation and applause and uh, you know to me it was a bit crazy to be honest uh you know you have good gigs you have bad gigs um and uh, you know you have to take the rough with the smooth you know so
0: that's what i'm trying to do at the moment i try to put myself under enough pressure but not too much because i think the experience acts i see they they'll be doing say if they everyone there's a lineup with three acts and they all do they all do well yeah the more experienced act, the more mature act, will, do, will enjoy it more because they won't be bl- 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 stressing about it. They won't, there'll be more perspective behind it, I feel.
1: Yeah. Um, Whereas
0: the newer act will be going, oh, I wish I could have done more. Oh, God, well, why not on TV? Mm-hmm. Whereas the more sedate act will be like, oh, well, yeah, that was really yeah. good.
1: Let's go on to the next gig. Yeah, I, rem- I remember doing gigs very sporadically when I was younger and I got a real feeling of elation... When things went well. Um, Whereas now, if things went that well, I would not be elated. I'd have a good feeling. (laughs) That's a bit sad. (laughs) I do think it's part of the ageing process, it's like <laughs> been there, done that, it's kind of, it really is those four words really, been there, done that But there
0: must be enough in it to keep it going. Cause oh, you going, because yeah. you don't look dead behind your eyes when you perform, you look no. like you have fun with
1: it Oh no, no, I don't want to say uh, I get no reaction, mm. that would be entirely wrong, but I don't get this sort of high, I, I remember not being able to sleep, I was so elated Yeah
0: Hey, you know it's not that's, healthy, that, is it? I guess that yeah. if that carried on forever. Then it would be yeah. very difficult to keep yeah, the comedy. Right. Going. Yeah,
1: and uh, so that is, that doesn't happen now. I just think, oh, that was a good night, a good night, and then good night, <laughs> cup of Horlicks <hall> <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, that that's, seems to be, I think, a natural <laughs> natural process. I um, uh, hope it's a natural process. Otherwise, yeah, it's, it would be a shame, really amazing cool well we've we've
0: covered all aspects of comedy um where can people find out more about you should they want to find your your music and
1: comedy well i have a facebook page it's um stylophobia with dan Rubenstein, good old irish name and um yes they can find out about gigs i'm doing and uh also have a twitter feed at stylophobia so that's it haven't caught up with uh what's it called, Friends Reunited? Yeah, um, space. Yeah, yeah, I haven't caught up with them. Um, but uh, Instagram, that was it. I feel too old for Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, yeah, good old Friends Reunited. I, yeah, some friends did contact me, and I thought, no, I mean, the last time we met, I was seven, and it would freak me out, you know. Yeah, what are you going to talk about? Oh, remember when we played with Lego? Yeah, yeah exactly, you know, remember when we you know, had those gobstoppers and... Um, you know, you uh, fired fired at me with a potato gun. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, so it didn't. You know. Did you live in Beano
0: Town? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: actually, they can they can really sting the potato gun. I think they they're illegal now. I,
0: I have still got one. I oh, won't right. throw it out. I love. Oh. they used to be good fun. Yeah. They did.
1: Yeah. Well, you have to be careful. You know, if the armed police see it, I think you're probably going to get shot That's on site. So, and not with a potato either. With P-
0: P- a potato <laughs> potato grenade, you just chuck yeah. a potato at them.
1: Yeah, this is it. I mean, <laughs> potatoes uh, they're now deemed to be pretty dangerous in pellet form. <laughs> really? where, where are, what the, why, why are we talking? <laughs> about?
0: Don't know why this happened. I was trying to wrap up, but uh, yeah. we, we've wrapped up our potatoes, and mm. uh, this has been the Stand and Deliver mm. podcast. Thanks very much, Dan. Thank you, Rodri. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: This is the Stand
0: and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. That was stylophobia there. Such a genuinely nice bloke. There's no ego on him at all, and it's always really nice to catch up with him whenever I have the uh, fortune of being booked with him on a bill somewhere. Uh, Right, so uh, I did say at the beginning of the podcast, uh, news regarding the Reading Comedy Circuit. Yes, it sprouted another little plant. I'm trying to do a, a... growing circuit analogy uh, it's not really working but yeah a brand new comedy night is or well it's a comedy afternoon uh, my comedy mate Nick Bayard is uh, running it and I'm I'm, do- I'm I'm helping him out a little bit it's called mates rates comedy the opening afternoon yeah the gig is at 4 in the afternoon uh, doors at 330 and it's on Sunday the 3rd of March Really interesting little venue um, called the Bluegrass Barbecue, and it's in this lovely little sort of 30-seater room, so wonderfully intimate. Uh, I will be uh, performing on the opening afternoon. The headliner is Oxford's own Chelsea Burkby. She's blooming good, won competitions. I've watched her loads of times, and uh, I'm just really excited. Not only is it a new gig for Reading, but it's also something a bit different and unusual. And if there's one thing uh, that you can say about Reading, it is unusual. Uh, So, yeah, go and look up Mates Rates Comedy on Facebook. Book your tickets now if you live anywhere near. Because let's face it, what else do you do on a Sunday? Nothing. Uh, Right, I should really stop plugging someone else's gig and promote my own... Our next show is on the 14th of February. The Comedy Club is the perfect place to celebrate or completely ignore Valentine's Day, whichever you prefer. I am comparing. Can't wait for that. We've got Matt Ree's headlining. He's a wonderful act. I've seen him a few times. And I've, I've been meaning to get him on the show for absolutely ages. And then our next show will be on the 14th of March. I, I'm pre-warning you because we've got a brilliant headliner for this. Sean Morley. Um, very, very unusual and a Uh, You don't want to miss him. And Harvey Hawkins will be emceeing as well. So that's going to be fantastic. Uh, So I'm telling you that just in case you listen to this podcast after the 14th of February. And I wouldn't want you feeling left out. Facebook.com forward slash Stand and Deliver Comedy Night. All right. Just before I go, let's read out a couple of highlights from my own gig diary. On uh, well Wednesday 13th, I'm in Ash at the uh, doing Havana Laugh at the Lion Brewery. Then I just said 14th, I'm playing at my own club Stand and Deliver. And on the 22nd, Friday the 22nd, I've got another hometown gig. Ninja Duck at the Great Expectations. Uh, Unusual night in a wonderfully unusual venue. We're in a library uh, room of a a very cool Dickens-themed pub. And there's improv going on there as well. It's an unusual, eclectic and fun night. And on the 24th, I will be at the Cavendish Arms playing Comedy Virgins. Can't wait for that. Uh, For more info on all of these, just go to Rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S.com forward slash gigs. Please do leave us a review on iTunes or whatever you listen to. Or if it doesn't let you uh, leave a review, share this podcast with a friends. This really is a, a tiny operation. I'm sitting in my bedroom right now and I don't have a producer. Uh, so, you know, I really am up against the big boys. So a single review makes a massive amount of difference. So don't leave it to somebody else. So This is Rodders signing out for the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast. I'll see
1: you on the next episode. <laughs>